Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, everybody, your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, January 5th is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and concert listings, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. If you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. Thursday, January 5th, and this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Mayoral Madness Thursday, and here's why. Because there's so much madness breaking out about the mayoral's race. Mayoral race. The mayor's race. Can't even talk. I'm going to hold back on talking about what's going on in Congress. You talked about it a lot yesterday. We're going to be talking about it later. I'm going to do a bonus with Miles Conflaslin. So I'm going to hold back on congressional talk and switch to the local. You know, I'm obsessed with local politics. We're kicking in the gear with the mayor, mayor's race. The election is February 28th. Many cynics out there say that uh, real Chicagoans, got it in quote, relatively normal Chicagoans, I see you, Gregory Pratt, uh, aren't going to start paying attention until after the Super Bowl. But Ben Jarofsky show listeners, uh, we're not relatively normal Chicagoans. We're obsessed with politics. We follow what's going on. So we're following it right now. Before I do, before I take a, like a mini deep dive and just the headlines, which are just one after another, I got to give a shout out to the great Michael Girardi, rock star extraordinaire, uh, got Chicago's Neil Young, as I like to call him. But just read, uh, posted over the uh, holidays my interview with Michael from last year. So I urge everybody to check that out if you haven't heard it already. But uh, so he was down in the 13th Ward uh in the area just west of midway airport and this is michael madigan country the 13th ward is michael madigan country uh for years madigan was the committeeman uh and the alderman is marty quinn who was a lieutenant uh to michael madigan anyway uh, we call this the cult of Madigan. And thanks to uh, Michael Girardi and his excellent photographs, uh, he took a picture of the blocks. Uh, do you got to see this to believe it? Every single house has a sign. Every single lawn, I should say, has a lawn sign. Marty Quinn. <laughs> what do you, come on, guys. I don't know. Someone, just one person should put another sign. You know what I mean? Just to show like, yeah, you know, like even M&M's has different colors, right? So it's just like one person should just go, I'm for Billy Bob. Or is that, you know what I mean? Got everybody, I'm from Quit. It's almost like you guys are afraid of something, you know? <laughs> it's, it's pretty remarkable, man. The cult of Michael Madigan still exists. Or maybe it's the cult of Marty Quinn, the, the alderman. They're all falling in line in, in the 13th Ward. And then... uh so I asked uh, Michael Girardi D for permission to uh, mention his photographs. He's such a wise guy. He goes, 
Sure. Thanks for showing my photographs to your listeners on the podcast. Oh, Michael Jordan. Here, listeners, look at this picture. There you go. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, thank you. Dennis saw the picture. Uh, so at least we know there was a picture. All right, let's do some uh, breaking um, mayoral news. Was uh, And uh, I guess the first thing is the poll. Uh, the poll. That came. No, I'm going to start with Willie Wilson. I'm going to start with Ray Lowe and Willie Liz Wilson. I'm looking at that right now. Sun-Times has a story. Uh, who wrote the story? Fran Spielman wrote the story. Ray Lowe, Raymond Lopez, uh, Alderman of the 15th Ward, has endorsed Willie Wilson for mayor. Uh, and uh, so it's, now, it's no surprise that Ray Lowe uh, is not supporting uh, Lori Lightfoot because he has not, he has been upset with Lori Lightfoot from the moment she was sworn in and she gave that speech, the inaugural speech where she just ripped the city council. She said, from here on out, you know, I'm going to let the light shine or bring in the light or whatever she said. And she just, the old days are gone. She just ripped the city council. So every single member of the city council was Ed Burke. And then she ripped Alderman at prerogative, which is a phony issue. We all know it's a phony issue, Alderman at prerogative. Uh, and um, because most the power rests with the uh, mayor. So if an alderman has power, it's by and large because uh, he or she is not battling the mayor on any issue. So the notion that aldermen control things in this city as opposed to the mayor is ridiculous. It's absurd. Uh, the entire history of Chicago for the last for the last 40 years, or 30 years, I should say, uh, runs counter to that. So, you know, I know it's, look, it's not a big surprise that Ray Lowe, Raymond Lopez, is not endorsing Lori Lightfoot. We all know that's not a surprise. Longtime listeners to this show know it's not a surprise. Uh, and, you know, when I think about the, the configuration of the 15th Ward, uh, it's a ward that a good chunk of it is uh, Hispanic and a good chunk of it is black. So I'm not surprised he's endorsing uh, Willie Wilson uh, as opposed to Paul Ballas, even though I would think uh, that Ray Lowe's politics are closer uh, to Paul Ballas's than uh, Willie Wilson's. But uh, anyway, that's uh, another mayoral item in the news. Uh, there's uh, Lori Lightfoot's new commercial, Bashing Chewy. We're going to take a deep dive on that tomorrow on Oh, What a Week. Uh, and then there's the new poll that was just released. Uh, and all my friends of the lefty persuasion, you know I love every single one of you, have sent it to me uh, because this new poll shows that Lori Lightfoot, it came out, I think it was Crane's uh, Chicago Business Poll, uh, it shows that Lori Lightfoot uh, was actually behind. This is the incumbent, incumbent mayor, ladies and gentlemen, behind Chewy, uh, Brandon Johnson, uh, Paul Vallis, and then Lori Lightfoot. And uh, so that would make her fourth, if my math is correct. And as we all know, everybody knows that this first round on February 28th is essentially the round to determine who will be in the runoff. Nobody's going to get more than 50% of the vote, ladies and gentlemen. I know that it's it's possible, yes, in the all the world of possibilities that someone will get more than fifty percent of the vote. But I think my distinguished guest, who's waiting to come on, uh, will agree with me that there will be a runoff. All right. Uh, so, my opinion about this poll is this: at the risk of having all my listeners call me cynical, calling me a nihilist, calling me jaded. I no longer believe in polls. I have so many doubts. I have so much skepticism. Part of this is just a long time aversion to polls. Uh, part of this is just the obsession with which people cling to polls. 
and the way they try candidates and campaigns try to manipulate us and to sort of like use a poll as something like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've watched this. It's like a science of the political operatives. And it reached a crescendo, in my opinion, in this last election, 2022, where it, we now are... We are now discovering the extent to which Republicans try to manipulate MAGA, try to manipulate that election by sending out the message through polls that races where Democrats were far ahead uh, were actually much closer. The New York Times fell for a hook, line, and sinker. We talked about this throughout. New York Times was predicting doom and gloom for the Democrats leading up to November. And then in the aftermath, they pretended as... They try They try to pretend as though the race was still close. You know what I'm saying? I remember with the Colorado senatorial race, they were acting that Michael Bennett was victorious in one of the closest races of all time. No, he won by the same margin he always wins. You screwed it up. You fell prey to some PR propaganda poll put out by MAGA. And the same thing happened in the state of Washington. And to a lesser degree, uh, it happened in Pennsylvania, uh, and it happened here in Illinois. Darren Bailey's people were putting out these propaganda polls, too, that showed allegedly J.B. Pritzker was within the margin of it. J.B. Pritzker was never within uh, like that 5% margin. It was propaganda. So I just, as a result, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I'm through with the polls. You're going to go out, you want to win, go win. You want to win? Get your people, you knock on doors, you do what you have to do to win, you put your little commercials on, come on talk shows like this, engage listeners, go to forums, <clears throat> hint, hint, Lori Lightfoot and Jesus Chewy Garcia, go to forums, you meet the voters, but don't put out the polls. I'm sorry. I, I, I know some people are going to fall for it, and I know it may fire up your, 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 uh, your hardcore believers. It gives, I know it gives hope to the people who have to go knock it So I understand all that. I get that. But come on, man. It's like spin. And I hate being spun. That's the sound of me being spun. All right. That's me on the polls. I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest, Sophia King, Alderwoman of the Fourth Ward and uh, mayoral candidate. Uh, and uh, so first of all, uh, Sophia, welcome to the show. This is your first appearance on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Welcome to my humble podcast. I know. Shame on me, Ben. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you you giving me some time. Yes. Shame, shame, shame is the song uh, once said. That song was before your time. Uh, all right. Uh, I will. Let's Before I uh, ask you to introduce yourself a bit to uh, my listeners, your thoughts on the, what I just said about polls uh, and uh, how they're used in political campaigns. Go. Yeah, yeah listen, I, you know, I, I think... Uh, you partially hit it, you know, on the head. I think that there are polls for propaganda. You know, I do think that, uh, you know, I've seen polls in my life who that have shown, um, you know, at a given point in time, you know, how voters may respond. But ultimately, the voters, you know, are the best poll that you will ever have. And the voters in Chicago are going to decide you know, who the next mayor is. And so, you know, I just would caution people to do your research. Uh, you know, I've seen, I, uh, I've heard of the poll. I haven't seen it in its entirety. The one that you're, you're speaking of uh, recently that came out, you know, I, I would put that on, on the propaganda poll. Uh, but, you know, there are folks that do this for a living um, who actually have some credibility and 
and, um, you know, can tell you what voters are thinking. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I certainly think that folks need to educate themselves. Um, and ultimately, the voters are going to decide, you know, who wins this race and, and any other race for that matter. Yes. And uh, by the way, I just want to be accurate. Uh, and the, it was a daily line crane Chicago business poll. That's uh, what it showed. And so, oh, all right. Listen, it was an I, index poll too. And, and, you know, the, the same, you know, I think person was kind of refuted before, you know, with this type of index polling. And so you, you just have to be careful and, and, um, and, and in this, you know, kind of era of disinformation leads, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, uh, people have to be kind of skeptical of what they hear and, and really do their research these days. But bottom line, you know, voters are going to decide, you know, uh, at the end of the day and, you know, don't be, um, you know, don't let a lot of the misinformation, you know, guide you in a direction uh, that you may not want to go in, you know, really do your homework. Uh, this is important. It's an important race. Uh, part of the reason I'm stepping up. So, yeah, I and I want to just point this out. Uh, this is a very Chicago mentality uh, that I'm about to explain. Uh, Sophia, I'm not from Chicago, but I've been here. Real, I've lived here a long time, uh, and Chicagoans got this attitude that they want to support the winner. I fought this I fought this attitude throughout the '90s and the O's, sure. uh, and into the the teens, Daly and Rom. I want to be Ben. You got to be for the winner. I've had so many Chicagoans of every race, creed, and color from every ward in the city. At one point or another, Ben, you got to go with the winner in Chicago. I go, why? Why, why is this compulsion? You have to support. Does that make you a winner? You know what I'm saying? It's like Bulls fans who start rooting for what? Who, who are they rooting for now? They jump aboard, whatever, bear. Now they're all of a sudden Bucks fans. I don't feel <laughs> like that. You know what I'm saying? So they're like, oh, they were Bulls fans when Jordan was here, but now that Giannis is reigning, oh, I'm a Bucks fan. And right. it's like, why you got to go with a winner? Why don't you just go? It's a, it's a runoff system, right, Sophia? You should go for with whoever you like. That's yes. how I view it. I, uh, I, I think that's important. I would agree. Uh, with that sentiment that people, you know, often want to get behind winning. Uh, but I think winning in this case is getting behind, you know, somebody who can, you know, really bring us together as a city, uh, you know, who understands uh, and has a track record, you know, who understands, you know, kind of what we're dealing with the city in terms of crime, in terms of education, disinvestment, in terms of, you know, other priorities. I think that's really winning. And I think we need to get behind somebody who can uh, bring us together. Uh, so again, you know, that's what I'm, I'm offering. And, and I'm not from Chicago either. Uh, so we, we have that in common, although I've been here for 35 years. Uh, so I definitely um, uh, consider myself a Chicagoan. But, you know, every time you get that question, well, where'd you go to high school? Because that's a Chicago phenomenon too, right? That second question, where are you from? Oh, Chicago, where'd you go to high school? Well, that's where I have to put on the brakes and then say, okay, well, you know, I graduated from Evanston Township. So, um, you know, I I, uh, I consider myself a Chicagoan, but I, I did graduate high school from Evanston Township. Not only that, you know, I went to school in, in Mississippi before that as well. So, um, but been here for 35 years. So I'm a Chicagoan and until I get to that question. <laughs> Whoa. 
Wait a minute. I did not know that. Oh, Let's just pause, ladies and gentlemen, and reflect on this. There was a poll uh, taken. The smartest people in the state of Illinois. This, this, is a, this is a real poll, folks. It's the Ben Jarofsky poll. The <laughs> smartest people in Illinois are graduates of Evanston Township High School. Oh, are you a fellow yeah. grad? Me. <laughs> I oh, went to wow. Evanston High School. That's why I always go. That's Sophia, for you. I went to Evanston High School. And um, I graduated many years before you did. Okay. No, we, 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 maybe we'll, we can debate that. Uh, and um, I will tell you from my own experience growing up in Evanston. Now I grew up, I graduated in the seventies. So that's uh, how much older I am than you graduated in 1973. Okay. I graduated and, in the eighties, but okay, okay. you're an eighties kid. That, uh, so it was so different. For me, going in Evanston and the world that I saw growing up in Evanston, that when I moved to Chicago and was exposed to Chicago attitudes, Chicago racism, just out there, put it out there in the street, my my <laughs> eyes open. I'm like, I'm not in Evanston anymore, okay? Right. And I know I'm not saying that Evanston is IT. Uh, people, oh, Ben, you love Evanston so much. No, I... Evanston has its problems, Sophia. I know that. It's a special place, though. I mean, yeah. you, you you do have to admit that. And part of that was intentional, right? Uh, you know, they had quotas in in um, schools uh, at, at one point, and that became a bad word. But, you know, when you and I were going up that, they intentionally had schools that were integrated. And so we all grew up. Uh, in environments uh, that were integrated from, you know, pre-K through high school. And I think that brings with it a lot of of cultural competence uh, to a certain extent. And so, you know, I, I don't think... Um, that uh, I don't think that you're you're off there. It definitely is, is a special place. It's It's hard for other people to grasp the magnitude of that. But I really think it begins with with, you know, you know, culturally from preschool growing up with, you know, a very uh, integrated uh, group of people and learning who people are from a very young age and understanding and having some cultural competency that um, kind of gets us in trouble in, in other spaces. So I, I think that's important. I was able to um, tell my first principal, who you'll probably know her name at Haven, was Lorraine Morton, who was the the um, uh, went on to be the mayor of Evanston for a long time, um, and people might argue one of the best mayors ever. Uh, but I was able to, before she passed away, um, just share with her you know, how much she meant to me kind of as a mentor, as a young uh, African-American woman, seeing this African-American woman, um, you know, be a leader in the school and, and, and didn't understand until later, you know, kind of what her uh, leadership, you know, meant to me. But, um, but yeah, Evanston's a special place. Um, so we, we could talk about that whole nother show. <laughs> All right. That's a whole other show. Let's get to Chicago. You decided not to uh, live in Evanston, uh, but you decided to uh, settle in Chicago, raise a family in Chicago, run for mm -hmm. office in Chicago. Now you're running for mayor uh, in the city of Chicago. Yeah. And uh, so why mayor? I mean, you're in a position now 
if you ran for re-election, you probably would re-elect it in the fourth ward, which is the sure. near uh, south side. Uh, and then uh, whoever the mayor is, you probably uh, could uh, just do seniority and have uh, uh, be a chair of a committee. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe not if it's Mayor Lori Life or getting reelected, but uh, <laughs> uh, as we discover, we'll get into that. But so why why run for mayor and not run for reelection? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I love the city, um, you know, but I think there's just we're in a crisis. You know, crime's out of control, tensions are high. Uh, I think even a larger gap between the haves and the have-nots. Um, you know, there's just so many groups at odds with each other. Um, uh, the teachers, the police, um, you know, my colleagues are all at odds with this administration. And I think uh, the people have lost trust. Um, and so, you know, uh, I also stood up because I didn't see somebody who could speak to all of Chicago and still bring the wildly disenfranchised black and brown communities the much relief and resources that they need. Um, you know, as you know, you know, my ward um, is very diverse, very diverse. You know, I, I go from downtown, literally Jackson, um, all the way south uh, to Hyde Park. And I have uh, Bronzeville in the middle. You know, uh, people have called it the low end back in the day. They've, you know, rebranded it. But, you know, I have some of the poorest areas in the city of Chicago with uh, a lot of gun violence. And I have some of the most um, uh, uh, well-resourced areas in the city of Chicago as well. You know, I have two different police districts. I'm able to see um, some of the disparities there. So I've got, you know, Soldier Field, Northerly Island, Grant Park, uh, four times as much lakefront as any other ward. Uh, so, you know, I have a good grasp on what, you know, it takes to manage and and, and run a city uh, uh, because of the experience that I've had, you know, as a fourth ward alderman. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we need somebody who's going to lead with collaboration and, and not confrontation. Um, and, you know, somebody who understands uh, really what we're calling the power of and, right, that you can have safety and justice, right, together. You can both uplift the police, you know, and hold them accountable, that we can educate our kids to go to college, but we can also train them in the trades and and uh, in tech, in the tech industry, that we can, you know, build our downtown and we can build our neighborhoods. I think there's just a lot of false narratives about what we can do, but we are the city of big shoulders. Uh, We are the greatest city in the world. Uh, It's a livable city, right? You know, we're not like California or San Francisco where, you know, the, the um, rents are so high or like New York, it's a very livable city. Um, Hell, we have water. We're not like California in a drought. We've got water. Uh, It's beautiful. All of the diversity in our neighborhoods. Um, We should be the Silicon Valley of the Midwest uh, because of all of the universities that we have here. Um, So there's so much um, in our city uh, that we have to brag about, but we've got to get back to that. The challenge right now is getting out of the crime uh, that we're in. Um, and I think, you know, we've got a plan. We're actually the only one with a 
a viable plan, like a plan that you can really implement day one. Um, but, you know, it's 18 pages, uh, a 10 point plan uh, that we talk about, uh, which really looks at some comprehensive issues around safety that we need to get to, uh, but also looks at some immediate issues as well. Um, and Police are part of that plan. I mean, they're our brothers, our sisters, our uncles, our aunts. Uh, they're, they're a part of that plan. I've always said, you know, that there's two professions where we throw everything at them that we have not been able to solve um, and expect them to solve them. And that's the police and teachers. And both of them are overwhelmed. Uh, they're leaving our city faster than we could keep them and retain them. So we've got to have incentives to make sure that they stay and to attract new teachers and new police to this. But police aren't the only um, um, part of our plan, you know, for safety. We've also got to uh, look at you know, alternative plans. I don't know if you know, Ben, but over 50% of calls to 911 are for nonviolent offenses or nonviolent situations like homeless issues or um, mental health insecurities. Um, and so we need to have professionals that are trained in those areas to respond to that. And so we can do that too. the power of and again, we can certainly have police respond to violent issues, things that they're trained to respond to. But we can also have alternative responses. Um, myself and, and other members of the Progressive Caucus put a pilot in the street, uh, but we have not been able to get the mayor to uh, really increase that pilot uh, the way that it needs to be across the city. We put money towards it. We just money is just not flowing out the door, just like we put eighty five million dollars towards violence intervention and only five has been spent. And this is in twenty twenty two, where this is the number one issue that we're facing. We've got to move that money out the door like it's a real priority. Um, and speaking of money, you know, we need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars towards violence intervention um, and to scale up those programs that we know uh, can work and have worked in other cities. So we're we're really not taking that seriously. But part of that is collaboration as well. So we know that the state has billions of dollars uh, that they can use towards violence intervention. We know that the city and I'm talking about federal funds that we've gotten has, you know, their billions that they got and, and the county, uh, but they're not talking to each other. Everybody's doing individually what, what they want to do. Um, and we need to, again, collaborate, come together, uh, figure out, you know, what our plan is as a unit um, and prioritize that and use, you know, efficiencies of economies of scale so that we can work together and, and put some some um, money towards a specific plan, but it, it, you have to be able to sit at the table together in order to do those types of things. All right, let me uh, uh, zoom in on something that you said. Uh, sure. You said a lot there and I took notes carefully, uh, but let's just start with uh, uh, alternatives to uh, just hiring cops and locking people up. We sure. have many guests on this show, we talk about this all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. Arnie Duncan, who is the former uh, Secretary of Education, yeah, uh, I think he may be a resident of your ward. Not uh, he's a, he's a little uh, further south, but he's, he's adjacent. But okay, uh, Leslie Hairston is love Arnie. He's a friend. Yeah. All right, so Arnie Duncan was was um, he was talking briefly, momentarily 
about running uh, for mayor, city of mm-hmm. Chicago. Uh, and I think he had his own poll uh, that showed Lori Lightfoot uh, was vulnerable. And uh, but he talked. Uh, Arnie I Duncan that shows that too. Every everybody does. Everybody, yeah. Just, Even, just I, for the record, <laughs> yeah, just for the record, everybody has a poll that shows Lori Lightfoot's vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, so Arnie Duncan was talking about uh, alternatives to just hiring cops. Yeah. And uh, this is something that uh, he and his uh, political aide who comes on the show all the time, Peter Cunningham, been talking about for the last year or so. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he came out with that, Lori Lightfoot and I and I, I used a basketball metaphor because both of them played basketball through an elbow. Started saying, "Oh, that sounds like defund the police," and my point was, you can't even have an honest discussion in the city of Chicago about real significant problems of crime without immediately going to the political rhetoric. It's straight mm-hmm. out of MAGA, by the way. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's straight out of MAGA. And sure. uh, uh, I've noticed in this current campaign, uh, Willie Wilson has kind of talked that way a little bit. Paul Vallis has talked that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't. There is just a faction of this city that looks at something like when you talk about uh, violence intervention, oh, that's just coddling criminals. That's not how you do it. What you do is you lock them up and you throw yeah. away the key. And so how can you, uh, Sophia, propose that and put that out there when you know the defund the cops accusation is going to be thrown right at you? No, because I'm not I, – I... Not totally. I'm not saying that at all. I, you know, I'm saying honestly that we need more police. I believe that. Um, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And that's part of the the conversation that we're always, you know, trying to have these black and white conversations when they're always gray. We're, we're always operating on a scale of gray. And so, you know, like I said, we police are part of the plan. We need them. Um, We also need violence intervention. We also need alternative forms of responses. We also need, you know, to uplift our teachers and uplift our police. We we need all of these things. And so we have to stop, uh, you know, uh, presenting these false choices. And that's why it's important for me to say as a progressive that we can both uplift our police and hold them accountable, that these are not mutually exclusive terms. We do it in every profession that we have. We shouldn't have any difference here. And I think, again, you know, we're leading the narrative with the negative few. We need to lead narratives with positives. That would just like be like me saying, you know, uh, as African-American men don't want to lead their narrative by you know, the bad African-American men in the community. I mean, that is something that happens all the time. We cannot lead our narratives by that. And so what I'm saying is what I think most people believe is, again, we can uplift police, we can hold them accountable. We need to get at violence intervention and look at some of those systemic issues uh, that uh, we all should bear responsibility for uh, over all of these years. When you talk about redlining, when you talk about under-resourced communities, we owe the community these things as well. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, and so 
in those same communities that we need violence intervention, we also need arrests. We need gangbangers and in, in all of those folks to be held accountable. They, these are not mutually exclusive things. And we have to get outside of that as adults and as leaders. And we need to articulate it in a way that people can understand. And that's what I am doing. I'm saying, listen, we need the violence intervention. We need to put $300 million at least towards that. I say we need to actually, and my plan calls for giving $600 a week to incent those who are likely to be shot or to shoot to come into the, um, uh, let's just say, economy, the regular economy, um, we need to incent that. Um, but again, holding everybody accountable with that comes, you have to do job training. You have to go to trauma-informed care. You have to, you know, have wraparound services for your family. What does your family need? I think we need to do that. And they've called it targeted law enforcement and other places, violence, what, whatever we want to call it. That's something that we need to do. Racial redress. We need to do that so that we can give folks options. Uh, most of these folks do not want to have to ov look over their shoulders to see, you know, who's trying to shoot them and they want an opportunity. And so the f folks that do, we need to give them that opportunity. Um, right. But if you are a violent criminal in our community, we also need to hold you accountable. That's not happening, too. And that's a false narrative that we don't want to hold criminals accountable in our communities, being in black and brown communities. That's a false narrative. No, we do. The reason that they're not is a shame. You know, we've got some of the lowest clearance rates in black and brown communities. What does that mean? That we're not solving murders and shootings. Um, and then that you know, uh, makes it harder for the public to come out and and help police, because if they know that they're, you know, a murderer is 95 percent chance to be out on the loose. Well, heck, you know, who's going to, you know, then say if they know that their neighbor could could uh, very well be, you know, the the murderer. So, you know, we've got to, uh, you know, do all of these things and stop. Right, so, yeah. Uh so what you're uh, calling for, uh, and uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna now invoke the inner MAGA that exists in us all. <laughs> and uh, what you're calling for is going to cost money. And I just got sure. a property tax bill that's outrageous. I've been railing against the property tax system in the city of Chicago, yeah. uh, probably from the moment you moved here from Evanston. That's how long I've been railing against it. It's so unfair. <laughs> property uh, taxes are higher in Evanston. I will just tell oh, you they, they are. Well, the entire system. The entire property tax system we have but in the state of Illinois, don't get me started, so faking, is all, it's like, it, 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 it's putting too much of a burden on property taxes because sure. it it works well to the advantage of people who can afford to pay the property tax. They're like, mm -hmm. I'll pay for my school and I'll pay for my police if I live in Winneka, Wilmette, or Evanston, or Oak Park, or Lake Forest, etc. I don't really care about poor people. Mm -hmm. uh, so what can you do as Mayor King? Uh to pay for these programs without jacking up property taxes? Where are yeah. you going to find the money for these programs? Go. So, so a number of things. For, first of all, what I'm talking about for the violence intervention, we can use federal funds. Um, those will run out in the next few years, but so should our problems if we do it correctly, right? If we put literally seven, several hundred million a year, and that can come you know, from the state, the county, and the city, and um, the private sector, that's 
asking. They were asked and, you know, they they got snapped at, you know, well, what can we do? Well, there are a lot of things. And I would lead by example of some of the things we can do. But one of them is you can help us in this endeavor of putting real money into violence intervention and scaling that up. And in other cities like Boston, it it, it has panned out. So that's money that we can use that will run out. But then so should our problems in the next three to four years if we target, you know, several thousand people a year, because we know, you know, about how many it is and about how much we need. So we do that for the next few years. And then again, our problems should begin to go down as we invest in those communities. And this isn't new. You know, we did this in the 40s. We did it in the 40s when, you know, the Italians and the Irish were killing each other over alcohol, right? Prohibition and during that area. You know what we called it? We called it the New Deal. We put <laughs> billions of dollars towards it. We call the New Deal. We call the 30-year mortgage. Um, and we ended up with Lincoln Park, literally ended up with Lincoln Park. So there's models of, of doing this. But to answer your question specifically, so that that money is money that we have available to us. It will run out and hopefully our problems will, too. In terms of policing as well, because I call for a couple of things, I call for something called uh, Chicago Reserve, which would bring retired police back into the fold. Well, we have in our budget already budgeted for 1600 new police. We're, we're not we're losing police faster than we can keep them. So. We will pay for them out of the budget that's there. And by the way, they don't need uh, benefits or any of those things. Um, they would come back. Uh, they would serve in capacities, you know, that uh, aren't as uh, violent um, and detectives, especially first, uh, so that we can solve some of these issues. Like I said, we have some of the lowest, we have the lowest clearance rate in the country. Um, so they can come back and try and, um, play roles during surge time in the summer for festivals, uh, but also uh, we can have them, you know, as detectives first. I think that's where I would put uh, the uh, first 200 at least into the detective um, area. Um, and so that's one thing we can do that won't, again, cost us a dime. Um, and so, you know, what I'm proposing uh, to deal with safety won't cost the taxpayers uh, any more money uh, immediately. But we can also look at our budget. We've got, you know, a, a huge budget uh, where we can, um, you know, be more efficient in it. And as I just suggested, you know, working with the state and the county, um, we should uh, do that uh, uh, along many lines. I mean, I think about you know, even the transportation should be more regional um, when we think about that and all the needs and, and the resources we need to build a world class transportation system. We really, you know, should not be looking, you know, solely at Chicago. You know, there's three structures that really make up what the RTA, it's the, the Metra, you know, the CTA um, and PACE. I believe. Um, and, and so but but the federal government looks at us as competing against each other for the, you know, billions of dollars. So, for instance, you know, I think New York uh, just applied to take all of their buses, you know, uh, to electric, which we should be, you know, um, striving for. Um, and they applied and got maybe 200 uh, 
million dollars. And, and I think we got like 20, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and maybe the RTA or maybe the Metro got some on their own. So we need to, again, come together and collaborate so that we can have a world-class uh, transportation system regionally again. But all of these things take uh, collaboration um, and working with, you know, our, uh, our, our um, uh, governmental uh uh, bodies in the state and the county, um, so that and and the federal government, so that we can do these things. But Sophia, you answer your question specifically. It's not going to cost taxpayers. All right, on those particular programs. Although yes. eventually, uh, you like every mayor, if you were elected, would have to confront uh, a rising property tax. There's no no way of avoiding that. Sure. But you you mentioned a couple times or many times uh, the words conciliatory, uh, the words collaboration. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, part of the psyche that goes runs counter to so much of the political psyche of Chicago that has mm -hmm. existed since the, the greatest mayor the city ever had uh, died. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we've been wandering in the desert uh, sure. uh, ever since Harold Washington died. Uh, but the reigning theory of so many people in the city of Chicago, and I noticed because it's been put to me a thousand times, okay, at least since Harold died, mm -hmm. is that you need a tough mayor, Ben. Mm -hmm. Just talk of compromise and conciliation and demand. No, 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 no. You want a sure. boss, someone who get it done. You're talking that when you use a word, I think Lori Lightfoot was just replicating in her own way mm -hmm. what she saw Rahm Emanuel do, what she saw Mayor Richard M. Daly, Baby Daly, as we like yeah. to call him, as opposed to Daddy Daly. And, uh, because Daddy Daly, she doesn't know about because she wasn't uh, sure. born then or whatever. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, so talk about that. What you're yeah. talking about runs counter to the worldview of Chicago, which is that you need a tough mayor to keep people in line. As yeah, opposed and to I think, territory, the mayor I, think it's, I think it's, you know, what you mean by tough. And, you know, what I always, you know, uh, ask my staff is, you know, what's your end goal? You know, what is your end goal? goal. And so, you know, if your end goal is to, you know, make uh, Chicago a world-class city, uh, you know, to make sure that we're safe, uh, to make sure that our kids are educated, to make sure that, you know, the people are housed, uh, you, you have to work with people in order to do that. And so if that is your end goal, then yeah. So if your end goal is to have people fear you and not get anything done and, you know, have people who don't want to talk to you and, and, and lose out in sight, a uh, sight of, of, you know, what's important, then, you know, certainly the former can work, but I, I would suggest, you know, that, you know, we definitely can go further uh, by working together. I think that, you know, I would be remiss and it, it would be disingenuous of me not to recognize uh, that we've been in some of the most challenging times in in our country, right? With uh, uh, COVID, with social unrest. I think the big issue is, is that we didn't come together. And that's leadership during those challenging times. And that's the difference between our city and some other cities that are recovering faster and better is that we didn't come together in a crisis like you do when somebody dies in your family. You know, you're arguing with your uncle or your brother or sister, but you, you come together during those times. We needed stability. I mean, that's 
really what you what you yearn for. And, and that was a missed opportunity. And and so that's what I'm talking about in terms of this collaboration is that we need our state partners. We need our city partners in order to get at this issue of violence that's plaguing all of us now, right? So everybody's concerned. I think that's an opportunity, though, actually. Um, I want to talk about that in a, in a bit. But, you know, we've been here in the 90s, in the 70s. This isn't new. Um, it's new to some folks. But, you know, we've been here before. So what do we do so that we're not here again in the next 10 or 20 years? That's why we have to implement the violence intervention. That's why we have to bring our brothers and sisters in the police together. Um, we want them at their best, right? So we also, we also need to get, you know, uh, racial training. Um, uh, they need trauma-informed care. You know, another plan that I have is this four days on, three days off, so that that gives us 50% more officers in our community, A, and it gives them the time and the rest that they need to be at their best. So again, you know, all of these things are things that we have to implement and we have to do it, you know, all together and all at once. So I'm not saying do one or the other. I'm saying do them all, but I'm saying that we have the wherewithal as the city of big shoulders, um, as the best city in the world. Uh, we do have the resources and the people, the intellectual um, human capital that we need to do it. We've got some of the best minds in the world right here in the city of Chicago. We've got to use them, uh, put good people in and good positions, let them do their jobs. There's there's managing and there's micromanaging. I, I believe in attracting great leadership, um, letting, allowing them to do their work. Um, you know, everybody should have the vision and the mission um, and come together and, and, and create that. But then, you know, allow good people to do good things in our city. And like I said, we are one of the best cities, if not the best in, in the world. And we need to um, we need to elevate that and get back on that path. And, and what I you're think talking that about, I do that. What you're talking about is so radically different. I like hearing what you're saying, but I'm just telling you it's something that you probably already know. What you're talking about is so radically different. Yeah, uh, but I've been able to Chicago do that. Is run. I mean, Chicago usually run like, a, but here's what a mayor does. When something mm -hmm. bad happens, the mayor looks for the person that he or she can pin the blame on. And then yeah. they throw it. This is something that Rom, well, he, he needed yeah. to learn it from Daly because Rom knew this. And he was always looking for a scapegoat. But Daly did it. Uh, and Lori Lightfoot did it. They always look for someone they could blame. Uh, yeah. Sophia, then they throw that person out as a sacrificial lamb. Let me Chicago. just give you a couple examples of how we've been able to do this. So even the even the 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 fight for fifteen. I mean, everybody's taking you know uh, credit for that, and and it was a group effort. But I was the lead sponsor for that. You know, I brought people together, but we brought people to the table on all sides and came up with a really great thing that helped the rest of the country lead. I mean, we're talking $15 now is old, but but we brought everybody to the table. Um, there was no dissension. You didn't hear public fight. We brought everybody to the table on that. So, and that brought, you know, 100,000 people into a livable wage, hmm. uh, you know, 400,000 out of poverty. So um, another piece, uh, the, the old Michael Reese, what we're calling Bronzeville Lakefront, there are four striking developments in this city, right? 
the Obama Foundation, the 78, Lincoln Yards, and Michael Reese, four. You never heard any dissension from, from us. Now, did we have tension? Yeah, we did. But we went in a room like grown people and came out with uh, solutions. Uh, we have a development that's being heralded by the New York Times as the most equitable in the country where the developer sees an upside and the community sees an upside. We have $25 million commitment for schools. We've got a commitment for 60% diversity. I said 60% diversity hires. We've got a commitment for affordable housing, 20% on-site. Um, and so we have these tense conversations but we created uh, what's now being modeled is the Michael Reese Advisory Council, where, again, we brought people to the table who we knew might not, you know, be supportive of a yeah. big development like this. And we sought to hear what they had to say. And then we implemented those things and we talked about those like grown people. So we have a track record of getting things done um, and moving the city forward. I've got cranes up in my ward in in Bronzeville, uh, in downtown, and in Hyde Park, um, well, and so you know we. Go ahead. I give you credit for that, Michael Reese, uh, as opposed to, way way above Lincoln Yards, which was a, just complete travesty, in my humble opinion. Uh, yeah. And the seventy eight, they haven't really come forth with what they're going to do yet, but I'm sure it's a travesty in the workings. Uh, and that has a lot to do with our TIF program. So might as well, since you introduced Michael Reese, it was partly TIF funded. Uh, and it's a long history. We don't need to go into the whole history of Michael Reese uh, and the city's uh, attempt to bring the Olympics to Chicago. Once again, thank you, International Olympic Committee, for saving from us from that debacle. Um, uh, Brazil had to bear the cost of that thing. Um, but I need to ask you this. This is a conversation we've been having on this show uh, for the last couple of weeks, uh, having to do with the red line extension, mm -hmm. and uh, which uh, is going to be used TIF dollars. Uh, and I've been chastising uh, Alderwoman Pat Dow uh, for the way she depicted that on the floor of the city council or various hearings. She was talking about her ward's money her people's money. And what I want people to understand about TIFs, it's our city-wide tax hikes. As soon as a TIF is imposed anywhere in the city, everybody else's rates go up. So it's not just any, if the, if the Michael Reese TIF was paid for by people all over the city of Chicago, not just the fourth ward, the Lincoln Yards TIF was paid for by people all over the Chicago, including people in the fourth ward who may not even realize that their taxes went up. Yeah. Pat Dowell's constituents, they are paying for that Lincoln Yard TIF. They may not realize it. So part of my frustration with the TIF program, uh, uh, Sophia, is the way the distortion with which uh, the powers that be in this city have put that uh, program out there so that people are so confused mm -hmm. uh, and so misled and so easily bamboozled and their taxes go up and they don't realize it. Sure. If you are mayor Sophia King, will you speak truth about TIFs? Will you let people know that they are tax hikes that everyone uh, from one end of the city pays for, no matter where they're spent? Go ahead. So I, I, I do want to level set on on TIFs I, and what TIFs are and what they aren't. And, and I think that's part of the education of it. And, and again, you know, there's a lot of disinformation out there and people use that to their advantage. So, you know, uh, the great mayor, Harold Washington, created TIFs. So uh, he created TIFs uh, at, to um, 
you know, stir economic development and under-resourced communities. Um, and they can do that, and they have done that. I think uh, a lot of folks have used them as kind of their own piggy banks, and I think that's where uh, some of the um, apprehension comes, you know, from regular citizens. But really what a TIF is, is it's, it's, it's taking, it's freezing in a particular area, wherever the TIF is, the taxes at that level, and then any increment over that is what you can use towards the projects that people use. So on the one hand, if it does what it's supposed to do, if it increases economic development, right, if you get more taxes out of it, then it can actually help lower taxes if that's done correctly. But if it's not, you know, then it, it can lower. So it, it just depends. And and let's be clear, um, it's it's on average, they say that TIFs don't have a positive or negative impact on taxes or on the economy. So if you want to talk about the truth, that is the truth. Um, but what it can do is, like I say, in a particular area, it can increase economic development and increase the amount of people paying taxes in that area and thus spread that across a larger area. But what people don't realize and what you're getting to, Ben, is that the taxing body is really the entire city. So you're right. It is everybody's. And we just put it in a big pool of money, right? We put it all into the city. But what the increment does or what the taxing or TIF area does is it focuses it on a particular area. And so it it since it takes that increment out of that area, then what people assume is that, you know, taxes are going to go up in that area or it just depends on whether that area generates enough, enough increment to then be put back into the larger tax base. It could actually, you know, decrease taxes. Um, so it just it just depends. But it's 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 kind of a shell game. It's smoke and mirrors like a lot of things are. Um, and so I think you asked me what I would do. I think I think TIFFs um, can be a positive thing if it's used uh, as Harold Washington intended for us to use them, which is to spur economic development in areas uh, that are tend to be under-resourced. Um, but that's also another thing. I mean, you know, uh, people don't necessarily want to um, invest in areas <laughs> that are under-resourced or, you know, or so, so how do you do that? And that's the incentive to, to get them to do that. And then once they do that, then you'll have more buildings, more houses, and then all those folks will pay taxes and then that'll help ultimately. Yeah, and, so. and just for the record, uh, Sophia King, uh, all the women speaking voted uh, for the red line extension. So I just yeah. wanted to get that out there very clear. Uh, and uh, I'm a big supporter of the red line extension as well. Uh, and the Harold Washington TIF, the first one ever, uh, was for Block 37, downtown Chicago. I will now spare you a whole history on Block oh, 37. No. <laughs> I spent years uh, examining that. Liz Hollander, wherever you may be, uh, with the planning commissioner back in the day, uh, she would fill my ear with stories about Block 37. All right. Uh, let's close by talking raw politics. Mm -hmm. uh, so as we say in the show all the time, and as I began the show by saying, 
Uh, this the the February twenty eighth first round is essentially uh, the first round. I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, nobody's getting more than fifty percent of the vote. There will be a runoff. So what everybody, what every candidate is doing right now is trying to figure out a lane uh, to uh, victory. I have your lane for you mapped out. Okay. Uh, I, now in your lane, I say this on the show. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> okay, your lane. Uh, is that I see pretty much in every article uh, that the Second Times writes about you or the Tribune writes about you uh, a reference to the fact that you're friends with Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. If you get Barack Obama's endorsement, you are in that lane. That is uh, <laughs> Sophia King in her Ferrari. <laughs> she just shifted down to second gear. It goes to third uh, to uh, the runoff. What's the likelihood that Barack Obama is going to endorse you uh, for mayor? Listen, I, I'm going to seek to get votes from all over the city, endorsements from all over the city. I would love that, um, you know, but we'll have to wait and see. That's that's something that I can't say that that would have to come from from him. Um, he did endorse me for Alderman, but I'll be quite frank with everybody, you know, I had a large support uh, back then and I hope to get support again all over the city. Uh, I think, honestly, it's going to be my plan. Um, it's going to be my experience and it's going to be how I lead uh, with collaboration uh, that will uh, get me over the line. So I think all of those things uh, will put me in good stead. Again, you know, as we began in our conversation about polls, uh, it's going to be the voters who are going to determine um, who's going to be on the fifth floor. And I think voters, you know, are looking for somebody like me, somebody who, you know, understands how the sausage is made, somebody, you know, who has a track record of getting things done, of working with people uh, to get things done. Um, so I think Again, it's going to be our plan and the things that people have seen me do throughout the city already that's going to, uh, you know, get us across the line. And and if I can just highlight, you know, at this point, needing somebody who can bring all of Chicago together uh, and not just segregated parts of it. I think, you know, I have... Um, experience with that. Uh, somebody, again, who can blend, you know, targeted law enforcement with robust wraparound services, uh, somebody who can uplift the police and hold them accountable. You know, we need somebody with a sensibility to know that we can't do this alone, that we have to bring stakeholders from the federal level, the state, the county, the city, the chief judge, all of those people together. Um, and somebody just really willing to to roll up their sleeves and, and do the hard work um, and to address real systemic change while addressing, you know, the emergency of now, the violent crime. Um, and so to this end, I think that I can provide that leadership at this particular time. And I think the voters uh, will uh, see the same thing. All right. Very good. Alderwoman Sophia King from the Fourth Ward, mayoral candidate. Thank you very much for taking time to come on my humble little podcast. I appreciate it. No, this has been really fun, Ben. Uh, like I said, shame on me for taking so long to get here. But I appreciate uh, the time that you've given me.
to quote the spinners, it's a shame. That's a different song. I'm trying to think of all the songs with shame in them. I came up with two. It's uh, a shame. Uh, yeah, don't don't give me a singing. I yeah, start singing. If I could okay. sing, though, that's what I'd be doing. If, uh, yeah. <laughs> sounded pretty good with the it's a shame and you i will not join in because i can't sing at all but in my mind i'm like a spinner i can really sing so it's an amazing thing what goes on in my mind uh sophie king thank you very much appreciate you taking the time to talk to us also thank want you. to thank the man the myth the legend the pride of joy of Alton, illinois without whom this show would be possible and sophia king and every member of the spinners and Dion warwick who did a huge hit with the spinners back in the 70s will tell you back home on Alton, they call him dr d and the d stands for the marvelous give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash peace and love everybody 